One of the things my partners, Van Grafton, Todd Metter, Mark Evans, what we ask ourselves is, what's getting through? And our storytelling partner, Minton Sparks, helps us with that. She demonstrates that storytelling gets people's attention. It helps them remember. And it helps us accomplish what we would like with these broadcasts, to offer you something that you hear and that you can apply as you go about changing your life. Now, here are questions that can help. Here's a big question. Would you follow yourself as a leader? Would you follow yourself if you had a leader that was just like you? Now, even if that's so, there's a follow-up question to that, which is, is there anything about your leadership approach that you would like to change? And now comes the final question. If you changed your leadership approach in ways that you would like and we recommend, how would things be different? T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, all three engines up and burning, 2, 1, 0, and liftoff. So we have these questions. And it's one of the reasons we call this rocket science. It's really complicated to get an answer to the question, would you follow yourself? Because naturally you'd think, well, sure, I'm already a leader. Bluntly, is that true? What are the things you'd like to change about yourself so that you could make yourself a better and more effective leader? So would you follow yourself? And if you were a different leader, what would change in your life? We have some things that we say to help encourage leaders, and one of them is to hire wisely, to hire for a servant's heart. We talk about how culture determines behavior and leaders determine culture. And when we talk about hiring for a servant's heart, that means we want to hire well. After hiring, you have a new kind of diamond prospecting challenge, which is to find the diamonds inside your staff members. You may already have some that aren't performing at their peak, and what you need to do there is figure out how to find and affirm the best strengths within the people you lead. Here's another core truth in leadership with teams. You want people who have reasonable self-confidence, not cockiness, but self-confidence, that have good self-esteem, yet it can be very hard to believe in yourself if you're surrounded and have always been surrounded by people who doubt your ability. When we talk about affirmation, the reason affirmation is so important is that it builds confidence, and one of the ways you bring out these diamonds and help them to become polished in the real world is by spotting a strength, affirming it, encouraging it, and bringing it out. The people around you may often not believe they have certain gifts. If you see ones you think are real, bring them out and try them out. Good leaders always do that. One of the great people I work with is Mark Evans. He was a senior vice president at Riverside Methodist Hospital and Ohio Health System, and he has long experience, 30, 40 years experience as an HR executive and senior level leader. He wrote something recently about something that really can get in the way of our productivity, and I know this will resonate with you. It's about that pattern of meetings we all get stuck in. We all say, oh, there's too many meetings around here. Now, some of those meetings we're calling ourselves, we're setting them up, and other people are saying about our own meetings, oh, gosh, I got to go to that meeting. So we've got to figure out how to sort that out because we know people here 
We consult with people who come in to work in the morning, and it's back-to-back meetings all day long and into the evening. Back-to-back meetings. Now, meetings by themselves are fine, but if your days are stacked with one meeting after another, that means your productivity is being compromised. You're not engaging in some of the most important aspects of leadership. You're not really getting out there. You're not really connecting with the people who are caring for patients, so there needs to be a change. Meetings, meetings, meetings. So figure out how to cut them back, how to shorten them, how to make them more efficient, but you already know that. Maybe we need to consult the wisdom of other wise leaders who've come before us. Here's what Mark Evans wrote about that. He says, I wonder if Mother Teresa avoided helping any of her people because she had to go to meetings. He also quotes Henry David Thoreau, who wrote, live your beliefs and you can turn the world around. Mark wonders if he might have added, uh, unless you can't live them because of the meetings you have to attend. Do we really think that Duke players fail to reach their full potential because Coach Chuchevsky requires them to go to a lot of meetings? Well, okay, right. Are meetings important? And Mark acknowledges that. He says, of course they are. Meetings are our primary way of communicating with groups of people and our way of achieving effective organization of our efforts. Like all great things in our lives, they can be overdone. So, too many meetings can interfere with our ability to achieve the very objectives we are planning in those meetings. Look, we're in the business of caring for patients and families and supporting our colleagues or even more direct caregivers. It's pretty hard to do that directly when we're in meetings. And Mark says, would you rather make the mistake of not spending enough time with patients, families, and caregivers, or make the, quote, mistake of going to so many meetings that you lose focus on the end goal? It really is important to focus on that understanding. What kind of meetings are taking time as a measure of priorities? Because what we meet, what's on the agenda, signals our values. I wonder if the meetings about budgets and finances are as time-consuming as meetings about radical-loving care. Take a look at your budget. The budget is a statement of values. If you're spending all your money, almost all your money, on technology and labor force, how much are you spending to understand that technology and to train your labor force in the key skills of competence and compassion? Now, professionals, all professional caregivers, are giving training around competence. Sometimes they get a little bit on compassion, but it turns out that the biggest shortfall in most caregiving really turns around the difficulty so many caregivers have of delivering compassion. It's hard to stay in touch with that. The work can be mind-numbing if it's too routinized. It's up to leaders to create cultures where people are not only compassionate, but they're having fun. So Mark says the great planning systems, like the Franklin planners that used to be around, they help us realize how important it is to stay in touch and with how we are spending our time. If we record off their calendar how much we're spending time and where we're spending it, we might be surprised to know that we're spending more time in meetings than we are interacting with patients, families, and caregivers. Now, is that really a good idea? Mark cites the example of a fellow we worked with in Ohio named Mark Shooter. He was the chief nursing officer in a 400-bed hospital in southern Ohio when we met him, and Mark was at the hospital as a member of the hospital board. About an hour into the monthly board meeting, the board chair leaned over to one of the administrators and he asked why Mark was not in the meeting. He was scheduled to give a nursing update a little later on the agenda. Where was he? The administrator left the room looking for Mark and found him in the cafeteria, sitting with a group of nurses discussing their day. When he was told to get to the boardroom immediately, Mark Schroeder calmly pointed out 
that what he was doing was more important than the monthly report to the board. Imagine that courage. Now, while Mark says he thinks he could have done both, he clearly had his priorities in line. Guess what happened with Mark? He became CEO of the hospital and later on CEO of another medical center in Chillicothe, Ohio. Generally, the staff members in both hospitals love him, and they knew that he was their advocate. They came through in their patient care. He was very successful there because of his personal commitment to patients, family, and staff. If the hospital leadership agrees with your insistence that they make a commitment to redirect much of their meeting time to focus on radical loving care, I think it will be important, important to quantify specifically how many hours a week they are permitted to be in meetings. That's a way to shorten it. 20 hours a week is plenty, right? Do we really need to be in meetings more than half of our weekly commitment? Each caregiver should turn in their schedules for a while to prove their commitment, and leaders ought to be evaluating that. Because sometimes, although that may seem autocratic, it will be important to make a tangible change to be tough-minded about that. When billionaire Les Wexner, head of the limited clothing store chain and others, joined his mother's retail clothing business, all specialty apparel stores had the store manager's desk located in the back room of the store, but Wexner knew that he wanted his leaders spending the maximum amount of time possible with the store's customers, and the associates also. So he set up the manager's desk right next to the cash register. Any paperwork they had to complete, they did in plain sight with those they were serving. What if you set up your desk right there in a nurse's station? Now, that might be intrusive, but let's not miss the point. How is it that we get closer and more directly in touch with caregivers so we're working in solidarity with them, not off in the distance? How wise might it be for you to put on a housekeeping uniform if you work in housekeeping, to put on an environmental services uniform and work side by side with your staff delivering care? And delivering care is what housekeepers do, we know, because everyone is a caregiver. Everyone in the hospital is a caregiver. So are you the kind of person you'd want to follow? What would your life look like if you started doing some of the things described in Mark Evans' note and in my comments today? What do I mean by different? Have you tried out that uniform yet, the one your staff members wear? Have you gone out and pushed a broom next to them? Have you gone out and stood side by side with a radiologic technologist? Have you gone into the accounting area and sat down with an accountant to see how that work goes? How well would you understand things if you went and stood in the laboratory to see how the processes and procedures are operating there up close? This is not undercover boss. It's putting, quote, your desk, close quote, right close to your staff members. You can find a balance that will help because obviously that can be overdone, but you can also find a way to change your leadership style so that you understand better what your caregivers are dealing with and can thus make better decisions. They will see your example. I promise you, having done it, it will inspire them. That's a way to change your life and the lives of those around you in the place where you work. And we'll discuss even more of these ways how to be a different leader and how that would change your life in our next edition of Rocket Science for Leaders. This has been Rocket Science for Leaders and I'm Erie Chapman, urging and encouraging all of you to live love, not fear. These leadership podcasts are sponsored by the Erie Chapman Foundation. Please visit our website. It's eriechapmanfoundation.net 
When you go to the site, you'll find information there and a chance to contribute. Please do if you can. Help support Radical Loving Care.